welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. Morning, Epiphany Fellowship Church. Good morning, good morning, good morning. I pray that you are well this morning, that you're doing well, you and your families. We're excited uh, to jump into the word as we continue on with our worship gathering. I am in 2 Timothy chapter 4, so why don't you meet me there? 2 Timothy chapter 4. This morning we are going to look particularly at verses 1 through 8. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Verses 1 through 8. If you don't have your Bible with you or your, your iPhone or your Android, um, it should be on the screen. So let's, let's, let's jump in here this morning. This is the word of the Lord, and it reads, I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, they will uh, multiply or accumulate for themselves teachers because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. My, my, my. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. But as for you, exercise self-control in everything and endure hardship and do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time for my departure is close. I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. And there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord The righteous judge will give me on that day, and not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. If I could tag our our text for this morning, I I simply want want to say that the benefit of a great handoff, the benefit of a great handoff. Let's pray. Our, Our dear Father and our God, we are grateful for the opportunities that you give us for discipleship. That there are those who have gone before us, who have pioneered the hard road of faith, who have remained faithful to you, consistent, mature, that we can learn from them, that we can uh, uh, model them and follow them as they follow Christ, and that we can take what we have learned, what we have seen, what we have heard, and we can apply it to our own lives faithfully, and that we can pass it on even now to the next generation. And so, Father, we're praying that our lives would be intermediaries of faithful transference of the gospel from one generation to the next. And so, God, today, this morning, I pray that you would help us see from your word what that looks like in the life of Paul as he passes the torch to this young Timothy. So, God, as I, uh, as, as I bring your word this morning, would you give me conciseness of mind, clarity of speech, so that your name would be glorified and your people might be edified this day. It's in Christ Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. The benefit of a great handoff. 
You know, this, this summer was one that I was particularly looking forward to um, for, for a number of different reasons. Summer is just a great, great time. You get to be outside. It's warm weather. And uh, especially after a long winter, you know, especially this year, cramped up because of uh, obviously COVID-19. But, but this past summer 2020, something special was taking place, and that was the Summer Olympic Games. Now, I don't know how many of you watch that when it comes around every four years, but I love watching the Summer Olympic Games. I, I, I love it. There's, there are so many sports uh, that you can watch, so many competitions that you can watch from the greatest athletes around the world. Uh, and, 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 and so I, I look forward to those every four years, being able to tune in and see the greatest athletes, not only from this country, but from other countries competing against one another as they, they represent uh, their, their countries for supremacy in sports. Uh, and, and, and one of my favorite, if not my all-time favorite uh, event at um, at the Olympic Games is, is track and field. Love, love track and field. Now, I'm not fast. Uh, I, I don't run fast. I've never been fast, you know. Uh, and, and so, so, but, but there's, something, there's something about being able to see people run the way Olympians run during the Olympics. I mean, it, it's, it's quite amazing to see people move that fast. It just makes you feel like you can move that fast, even though you can't, but it makes you feel like that. And, and so when I, when I watch the Olympics, I'm looking forward to, to, to I, I like all the events, but there's two in particular. It's the 100 meter dash and then the four by 100s. I, I love the, the four by 100s, especially the women's division, because they, they be getting after it, y'all. The, 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 the ladies, they be moving, right? But, but, but I, and I don't know how, how, uh, how many of you will remember this, right? Uh, but in uh, 2004, at the Olympic Games in, in Athens, uh, there, was a, there was a dominant, well, and when I say dominant, I mean dominant, women's American 4x100 relay team. I mean, they, they came in as favored to win the gold, which, which is not necessarily abnormal. It's been abnormal in recent years because Jamaica been holding it down. Uh, to all my Jamaicans out there, I'm saying that like I'm Jamaican, but, but you, know, we, you know, all of the African di diaspora, you know. But, but, but anyway, um, the, the, the American 4x100 team, were, like, they, they were ready to rock and roll. They had Marion Jones on the squad. Marion Jones had already won four gold medals the previous year in Sydney, Australia in, in 2000. And the night before, they, they had the, the fastest qualifying time. It wasn't even close. Blazing. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and, and so when the race started... The race gets started, and, and the, the, the American women's team, they, they got off to a, a strong start. That by the time Marion Jones, who, who was probably the best runner on the team, by the time she took the baton uh, in, the second, in the second heat, the second leg of the race, I mean, by the time she took the, the baton, they was already in the lead. So you just knew, uh, you, you just knew that, that this was going to be a blowout, right? And so, so, so you know, Marion, she's around the track, 100 meters, and, and as she begins to close in to hand off the baton to, uh, to, to, the, third, to the third leg, there's a young lady named Marion, uh, uh, Lauren Williams, who was a youngster, young speedster, she could run too, uh, who was running the, the third leg. And as, as Marion uh, uh, Jones came up on Williams and began to uh, pass her the baton, she, she stretched out forward, and, and, and something happened. They, they couldn't complete the handoff. And, and, and one time, two times, 
three times. Marion tried to thrust the baton forward, but for some reason, Lauren couldn't quite wrap her, her fingers around the baton. And it wasn't until the fourth time that they finally were able to complete the handoff. Unfortunately, by the time they had completed the handoff, they had crossed outside of that 20 minute, that 20 yard exchange zone, which meant that we, they were disqualified. And, and, and their, their race, even though they were the favorite, was over. And so as, in, as I say all that to say that as important as it is for the previous generation to set the pace by living authentically, at a certain point, a handoff must take place. Uh, 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 the next generation has to receive the baton of faith and begin to run with it on their own. And, and, and hear me, hear me say this, the handoff isn't easy. It's not as easy as it looks and, and it's not automatic. The, the, the handoff, a good, a good handoff is the result of hundreds and hundreds of practice runs. So here in the book of 2 Timothy, what we have is we have a, a deeply personal letter from uh, the Apostle Paul to, to his young boy, Timothy, his son in the ministry, uh, who he has been investing in and, and nurturing and preparing. And, and Paul has been preparing Timothy for faithful ministry once he's gone. Because I, that, that's what any good disciple maker does. That's, that's what any good leader does is they prepare those underneath them, those behind them, those who are coming after. They prepare them for when they're gone. I don't know if y'all remember Black Panther, the movie that came out a, a couple years ago, but there was a conversation uh, that T'Chaka had with T'Challa uh, when, when T'Challa went to meet him after he had died. And he, he said, if I had not prepared you for my death, then I didn't do what I was supposed to do. And so Paul, in this book, he begins to reflect on uh, on, on what it, on, on not only just his life, but, but Timothy's life. And, and he's giving him some, some final instructions uh, for, 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 for when he's gone. And, and listen, this isn't, Paul isn't cramming here. He's not trying to cram a ton of information that he never taught Timothy. He's, he's just, he, he's, he's reiterating. He is uh, reminding Timothy of the things that they have talked about over the years, the, the training sessions, the, the ministry that they've done together, the, the coaching and the teaching. He's reminding Timothy of the important things before he goes. And, and as he reflects in, in chapter one, he reflects on Timothy's life and, and how the faith was passed down to Timothy by the faithful Christian women in his life. His, his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice, like faithful praying grandmothers and praying mamas who would stay up late at night and pray and lay hands on Timothy and speak words of affirmation regardless of how wild he is out in the street believing that God would bring him home. And I might not be talking about Timothy right here, but I know I'm talking about somebody that's listening. I might even be talking to a Lois or to a Eunice right now who got some kids wilding out in the streets and you want them to come on home. But I, I'm here just to tell you that Timothy's life is an example of what having praying grandmothers and mothers does for you. So the faith was handed down to him and Paul reflects on that. And Paul's charge that we see in in chapter four, the charge that he gives to Timothy, he says, I solemnly charge you. He, he's charging Timothy in light of everything that he's already told him in chapters one through three. 
chapter 1, he, he, he tells Timothy, he says, Timothy, you, you got to guard the gospel. That's why he says in, in verse 14 of chapter 1 to guard the deposit that's been entrusted to you. And he, he tells him in chapter 2, he says, and as you guard the gospel, you've got to prepare yourself to suffer for the gospel. That's why he tells him in, in verse 3 of chapter 2 that you, you prepare yourself to share in suffering as a good soldier in Christ. Then in verse chapter, chapter 3, he tells him to, to, to continue in the gospel. Continue in what you have learned. And then at the end of chapter 3, before we read verse 1 of chapter 4, he, he reminds, he gives Timothy a subtle reminder of why there is so much weight to God's word. Because he says, he says, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. And so he wants, he wants Timothy to develop and to remain having a high view of the authority of God's word. Because he says, Timothy, if you have a high authority of God's word, then you'll do the two things that I'm charging you to do here in chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. And the, the first thing that, that, that Paul is charging Timothy with is to be faithful to the word. Look with me at verse 1. He says, he says, I, I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead. And because of his appearing and his kingdom, this is this is beautiful here. It, notice notice that, that that Paul says that he's how he's charging Timothy. He's charging Timothy before God and Christ Jesus or in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Paul here is reminding Timothy that his responsibility, uh, the responsibility, this responsibility that he's being given is laid upon him and it's to be carried out before none other than God and Jesus Christ. You, you got it. You got to hear that. You, you have to hear that, that Paul, as he, as he gives these last words uh, to this son in the ministry, he's saying, Timothy, I, I want you to know that what I'm commanding you to do, what I'm uh, imploring you to do is, is not only based on the word of God, but everything that you do will be done before the presence of God. Mm, that's, that's, that's good. That word, that word presence uh, can, can be translated face, face to face, or it implies a close and personal encounter with God. And so, so what, what, what does it mean? What does Paul mean when it says that, what, like to be in the presence of God? Well, what, what is it like to be in the presence of God? I, I, I want to know. I, like, you can't just say that, that I have to live and, and minister as a, as a believer in Jesus Christ uh, as if I'm in the presence of God. You got to tell me what, what is it like? To be in the presence of God. Well, I, I can tell you this. I can tell you that, that Adam in Genesis 3 and Isaiah and, Gen and, and Isaiah chapter 6 and the disciples who were on the Mount uh, of Transfiguration uh, with Jesus in Matthew chapter 17, they all had a similar response when they were in the presence of God, and it was fear. They, they, they had a fear of God. They were, they were shook to their core to be in the presence of God. Some of us don't fear being in the presence of God like we should. So some of us aren't in awe of God. Some of us ain't scared of God. And, and so there, there's a healthy fear of God, and we talk about that healthy fear. But some of us, man, we need to be scared of God. If you knew how mighty God was and how powerful God was, if you really knew who God was, you, you would be afraid of God. Right. But 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 it's not just that because Moses in, Je in Exodus chapter 33, he finds he finds comfort with being in the presence of God. That's why he can say, God, listen, I know you told us to go over there. But if you're not going to be there when 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 you when we get there, I ain't going. 
Right. There's a comfort being in the presence of God. That's that's why Moses can say that. He said, man, listen, I don't care what's over there. If you ain't there, I ain't got no business over there. Right. And it, the, the psalmist, what does the psalmist say? Psalm 16, 11. This is one of my favorite passages. He says, he says, in his presence is what is the fullness of joy. And that his right hand are pleasures forevermore. There's joy in the presence of God. It, when, we, when we get to Revelation chapter 5, we see a scene of worship before the presence of God. Because uh, not only are we worshiping God now, but we're practicing for the future. We're practicing for that, that great day that the prophets told us about, that Jesus told us about, where we will be before the presence of God worshiping nonstop at his glory. Not only that, but he tells Joshua, he said, he said, I'll, I'll never, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He says, just, just don't go from the right, the right or the, or to the left. He says, I'm, I'm always going to be with you. So the, the presence of God, it remains with us. And then the psalmist writes, he said, there ain't no escape from the presence of God. Where can I go? Where you ain't at? Like, where, can, can, I, can, I, can I go to the highest heavens or can I go to Sheol? There's nowhere I can go. To escape from the presence of God. But, but, but what, what Paul is trying to communicate to Timothy is he, he wants Timothy to feel the seriousness of needing to remember that everything that he did was before the watchful eye of the Lord. Why, why is that? Why is that so important? Listen, listen, that's important. Be, be honest with me. Be honest with me right now. Right. Because I'm going to be honest with you. So you, you be honest with me. Be honest with me. We, it's important because we can live as if the only time we're in the presence of God is when we're involved in religious activity. You can be you can be honest. It's not, it's not too many people in your living room with you. So you can be honest in your living room at least. Right. Now, now, now let, let me let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. Uh, the, the other day. Right. We, we, you know, me and the fam, we sitting around. In, um, in, in our kitchen, you know, so everybody's sitting around the table and, and we look up and it's been a while. It's been quiet. And, and everybody looks up and it's like, hold on, where's, where's Nyla at? Nyla's my, my three-year-old, my, my little baby. She's so adorable. She's so cute. But we look, we, we look around. It's like, man, she, it's, it's quiet in here. Where, where did Nyla go? So my wife calls Nyla, where are you at? And she, she runs into the room from, from the other room. She says, I'm right here. And, you know, because we heard her voice, we didn't really look at her. We was just like, okay, she's safe. She's good. But, but Noelle, my oldest, she looks at her and she's like, she's like, Nyla, do you have marker on your face? She's like, Nyla, don't color your face with marker. So, of course, we, we looked down. And before we could look at her face, we said, Nyla, did you color your face with marker? And she took off back into the other room. And, 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 and so we're like, Nyla, come back here and let us look at your face. So she, she eventually comes back in. We look at her face. We see marker on her face. And we're like, baby, start, don't color your face with marker. Matter of fact, where did you get a marker from? And so, we, so we're like, go, Nyla, go get the marker and bring it back to us um, so we can put it away. And she said, I don't know where it is. What do you mean you didn't know where it is? There's marker on your face. And so uh, come to find out she had gone into the other room the first time and hid the marker. Right. And, 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 and so so what, what, what am I trying to I'm trying to say is that is that that she thought because she wasn't in our presence that she could do whatever she wanted to do that she knew was wrong. And the reason that we knew she knew it was wrong was because she tried to hide. And, and, and for some reason, she thought that trying to hide the marker would eliminate the evidence on her face. And, and I know you're laughing in your living room right now, but how many of us do that? 
We get found out because we thought we could live any old type of way and, and, and thought we were outside of the scope and presence in the eye of the, of the almighty God. And then when we got found out, we tried to hide the evidence like we couldn't see the evidence all over your life. You know what? Maybe that don't hit you. Maybe I'm not in your home. But I know some of y'all, y'all was just like me when you was younger. You know, you out, you young and you out with your friends, acting a fool. And I don't know, well, this might not be y'all because y'all a little younger. But when in my generation growing up, everybody looked out for one another's kids. So you could get you could get whooped by the neighbor and sent back home. Right. But and so when we was younger, you know, we used to be out with our friends acting a fool uh, and, and then a neighbor would see you. And, and, and if they didn't grab you, they, they would tell I'm telling your mama, I seen what you did and I'm telling your mama on you. And so we would we would try to do whatever we could to not be to, 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 to get them to not tell. But the other the other thing we do is we weren't we weren't also just concerned about being found out by mom and dad. We were also trying to avoid the people who were in close proximity relationally with them because those people would hold us accountable to their standard. Uh, that, 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 means, that means that some of us right now avoid accountability from the people of God because they're going to hold you accountable for the standard because they know that you're not living in light of the fact that God is watching you closely because you think that you're outside of his view and their accountability. Paul, Paul here is saying, he's saying, Timothy, he's saying, Timothy, man, man, we live, we live in light of eternity. We live now in light of eternity because Jesus, Jesus, whose, whose eyes in which we are living before, he's going to come back and judge the living and the dead. And so there, there's a seriousness and an urgency that should give us an awareness of constantly being in the presence of God. But, but look, what, look, look, look what Paul tells Timothy in, in verse 2. He says, he says in, 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 light of, in, in light of this charge, Timothy, I, I want you to, to preach the word. And, and I want you to preach the word uh, and be ready in and out of season to preach the word. And the way that you're supposed to preach the word is to rebuke and to correct and encourage with great patience and teaching. So he says, he says Timothy, I want you to preach the word. It means to proclaim it aloud publicly. That, that means you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta talk to some people about the word. You actually have to verbally communicate what the gospel is. You have to engage in conversations with the surrounding culture. You can't be, you can't shrink back and hide and it just be a you faith and, and, and you all good. And because you got your little, your little quote unquote fire insurance, you don't got to worry about nowhere else or it's not hurting nobody or, or all that. And he says, you, you got to preach the word. Timothy, and you got to be ready in season and out of season. I like how the, the NLT uh, uh, or this reads in the NLT. It says, be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Because, you know, you know, preaching the word, the circumstances won't always be ideal. But guess what? You got you to preach it anyway. He says, he says Timothy, I, 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 want, I want you to preach it even when they don't believe what you say. I, I want you to preach the word 
even when you don't feel like it. I, I want you to preach the word, Timothy, when you've lost credibility in their eyes. I, I want you to preach the word, Timothy, when, when you don't know exactly what to say. I want you to preach the word if you think that they're smarter than you or if you're intimidated by their appearance and demeanor. I want you to preach the word it, and it may cost you being liked and you may end up standing all by yourself. But if you find yourself, Timothy, standing by yourself, I want you to look back at verse one and remember that if it ain't nobody else with you standing and preaching the word, that's all right, because you'll be doing it in the presence of God. Says, preach, preach the word. So you've got, you've got to, you're going to have to correct people. You're going to have to warn them about things that you see coming along that they might not be aware of. You, you've got to, you, you, you can't neglect to not encourage them as well, Timothy. He says, but when you do it, when you, when you teach them, when you preach the word, make, make sure that you do it with complete patience and teaching. He says, it's, it's, easy, it's easy to preach the word when we just want to yell at people. See, it's easy when we just want to tell people what to do. It's easy to preach the word when, when we can just point out all of their sin issues. It's hard to preach the word with patience and with teaching. Because that takes time. That, that takes relationship. That takes knowing what you're actually talking about. That, that, that teaching is a process. Knowing that they're not going to get it all at once. Teaching takes time. But, but this isn't the first time that he, he's told Timothy this. Matter of fact, over in chapter 2, he, 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 he tells him in verse 24 and 25, he says that, that, that you, the, 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 the man of God must not be quarrelsome, but you got to be able to teach patiently enduring evil, even correcting his opponents with gentleness. But, but guess what? The reason Paul tells Timothy that is because this, this type of teaching, patient teaching, is purposeful. Because in verse 25, guess what he says? He says that, that if you're able to teach and you patiently endure evil and, and you correct with gentleness, he says maybe, maybe God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. Maybe God, because of your patient disposition, maybe God, because of your willingness to, to, to teach through frustration, maybe your willingness to be patient with people as they try to get it right will lead to repentance. But then Paul, Paul goes on. He says, he says now, now the, reason, the reason, Timothy, that you got to preach and teach like this, you got to be patient as you preach and teach, and, and, and that doesn't mean you don't be honest and truthful and you don't be bold. He says, but the reason you got to do this is because, man, there's, there's a time coming. Whew, there, there's a time coming when people will not tolerate sound teaching, right? Or, 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 or some translations say they won't endure sound teaching, but will according to their own desires, multiply teachers for themselves because they got an itch. And, and you know what that itch is? They, they want to hear what they want to hear. That, that sounds, you, you know, Paul, Paul could have said that today. Paul, Paul could have Paul said that today in our culture of subjective truth, where we make truth what we want it to be. Where we, where we hear, where we're, we're, we're so offended by truth that we, we distort it and pervert it to mean whatever we want it to mean so that life is comfortable. But he says, he says there, there's coming a day 
where people will turn away, they'll abandon sound doctrine. Now, it is clear that Paul here, Paul here has in mind this group that he was speaking about in chapter 1 uh, in, in, in verse 15. He says that, that the whole company from Asia uh, deserted him, specifically uh, Phagellus and Hermogenes. And he said they, they deserted him. They, they fell away from the faith because of, because of all of the false teaching that was transpiring in Ephesus at the time. But he says, he says man, there's going to come a day where people who was with you, you're going to look around one day and you're going to say people that, that used to be with you who have fallen away because they wanted to hear what they wanted to hear. It says they will not endure. They won't bear. They won't last. They won't persist in. And it seems like that, 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 that this idea of, in, of not being able to endure or persist or tolerate comes from a, a apathy or boredom or annoyance. Re really, really what it points to is, is the fact is, is the fact that, that, that these, this group of people, right, is so curious and so active in their craving for novelty. And their, their craving for novelty is, is, is so insatiable that they're driven to extremes without any discretion for judging between truth and error. They, they are so, they, they crave new information, not truth. Listen to me. What they crave is not truth, but new information. And the Christian faith gets boring or apathetic to them because the Christian faith is not bringing about new information. It's the same truth. God's truth that we're being rooted in day by day. But because there's not this new and exciting revelation, they've got to move on to something else. Paul describes as myths. And he says they'll 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 reject it. They won't be able to tolerate it. Right. They won't be able to bear or to last or persist. It's it's like it's like running a marathon. Right. Similar to running a marathon. Now, I, I've never run a marathon, but I look forward to it one day. I really do want to do one. Uh, but but what but but marathon runners, they'll tell you about hitting the, the runner's mob, the, the runner's wall. Right. And, and, and apparently it comes about y'all correct me if I'm wrong. I won't hear you. So I'm just going to assume that if I'm wrong, you're correcting me. But but it comes around mile like 18. Is that after when you when you hit that mile 18, you hit the runner's wall and, and you you've got a decision to make in that moment because your mind has to overcome what your body's telling you to do because your body's telling you to stop. Your body is telling you to slow down. Your body's telling you to sit down and take, get a drink of water and get some electrolytes in your system. And your mind has to push your body forward by saying, no, I got to keep going. I got to persevere. You got to hit that second wind and that second gear. And, and, and some people in the faith haven't done that. They, 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 they will not endure because they don't want to listen to sound teaching. But not only that, Paul says, he says, they'll multiply, multiply teachers for themselves. They'll, they'll search out people who are saying what they already want to hear. And, and we live in an age, not just of social media, but of technology, where you can find anything that you want to hear at any time. And so it's easy today to get led astray. But, but Paul here, the interesting thing about what Paul is talking about here, is he's, he's, even though most times he, he, he puts the emphasis on the false teachers, here, the emphasis isn't on the false teachers. Here, the emphasis is on the hearer. The emphasis is on not the false teacher who led somebody astray, but it's on the hearer who wants to go astray. 
This this multiplying teachers for oneself gives the impression of stockpiling. allows you to pick and choose at your convenience. And so the the minute that that the person that you've chose hits hits a sore spot with you, then you can put him back in and pull out somebody else. And the minute you no longer agree with that person, you can put them back in the pile and pull out somebody else. You know, you, you, you know how we do. And it's not, it's, it's, you, you, it's, not, it's not just that. You know, that, that also happens. Um, and it's one of the reasons why we often seek out people who don't know us that well for godly counsel. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm uncovering some of your mess right now. That's all right. That's all right, though. There's grace here. There's healing here. But, but some, of, some of y'all, will we'll, we'll knowingly go to people and then get a word from God. It, it just happens to be a word that you don't like. And so then you'll start making your way around the circle. And you get further and further away from people who actually know you because the less they know you, the, the less they can be specific about what you need to hear. Come on, I, I know I'm not by myself. That's all right. I got my amens. I got my amens. You know, so endurance sound teaching is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. Listen, I, I don't always like sound teaching. I'm be honest with you. And, 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 and I hope that, that I'm a sound teacher. I believe I am. But I don't like hearing it all the time. You know why? Because sound, sound teaching gets all up in your business. Sound, sound teaching addresses issues in your life that you never told nobody about. Where you be sitting there and you think that you, you think they've been spying on you. How he know that? You know what sound teaching does? Sound, sound teaching lays siege against the kingdom of self trying to build, that you're trying to build. Tears it down. But here, here's the truth, though. Here's the truth. People, people will believe anything as long as they don't have to believe Jesus. And, and I'm not just talking about related to salvation. I, I'm talking about embracing his truth about all of life and what it means to live in his kingdom. Paul says, he says, Timothy, he says, now, now, not, not only are you to be faithful to the word, Timothy, but once your feet have been planted and your soul has been rooted in the word and the line has been drawn in the sand, I want you to be faithful to the end. Look, look with me at verse 5. In verse 5, uh, Paul, he, he starts off and he says, he says but, but as for you, right, 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 the bluntness of the contrast is intentional from what we just read in verses 3 and 4. But, but as for you, you know, when, you, when your mama said, I don't care what your friends do. If your friends jump off a bridge, you're going to do it. But as for you, right, you, you, you. You've got to exercise self-control or what some translators say, they say, be sober-minded. It it means that you have a spiritual alertness that comes from the practice of self-control, right? And a a spiritual alertness that comes from uh, the practice of self-control. You're not going to be spiritual alert with no practice. And the problem is that, that too many of us are failing because we only try to apply self-control once we get in a jam, but you have to practice self-control so that when 
the, the real difficult situations come up. You've been practicing it enough so that you know how to apply it. He says you got to be sober-minded. Enduring suffering. Enduring suffering? Enduring hardship? He's really, Paul? This is what you this is what it looks like for my to endure to the end, to endure hardship. Look, look, look what look what he writes in 1 Corinthians. He says, No temptation has come upon you except what is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But listen, we stop there. We normally stop there, don't we? Don't we normally stop there? God won't tempt you. God, God won't give you more than you can handle. That's not the end of the verse. He says, but with temptation, he also provides a way out. So that, purpose clause, so that you may be able to bear, you may be able to endure it. You, you know what the way out is that God provides? Endurance. That's a hard word. That is a hard word. But, but listen, listen, people who don't endure can't be sober-minded. Right. We, we don't we don't we don't think straight when we go through trials. We, we let our emotions dictate what's true when we go through hardship. But the one who is able. The one who is able to, to exercise self-control, to be sober minded. He, he's the one who's able to endure suffering. And he tells him he tells him, do the work of the evangelist, share, share the gospel in the unbelieving world. And he, he says, he says, Timothy, fulfill your ministry. Fulfill what God has called you to do. And then Paul, after he gives him this charge, right? Paul then, he, he, he begins to uh, take Timothy on a journey, summary of his life, as he gives them the example of how he's been faithful to the end. Right? Because Paul, Paul's coming to the end of his time and he knows it. And so, so as he's preparing Timothy to, to, to have a faithful, healthy ministry once he's gone, Paul can take some time and reflect on his own faithful journey. Oh, what a testimony to be able to get to the end of your life and know that your time is near and be able to say what Paul is about to say. He says in verse 6, I've already, I am already being poured out. As a drink offering. He said this, this, this is a reminder of the daily offerings that were required of the priests. That they would offer with the, with the food and the grain offerings. That was a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Paul is saying that, that my death, because, of, because I finished well to the end, my death will be a pleasing aroma to God. He says my, the time of my departure is close. That, that word, it, it, it has the imagery of, 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 of a ship being loosed from its dock. Or a soldier loosening the stakes to remove his tent to journey on. So Paul, Paul, Paul knows that his time is coming to a close. And so, 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 so he can look back over his life and he can say with assurity that he's, that he's fought the good fight. Right? Ephesians chapter 6. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and, and powers. He says, I've, I fought the good fight. Said, I've, I've finished the race. Run the race of endurance that is set before us. Hebrews chapter 12. He says, I've kept the faith. He tells Timothy to guard the deposit that's been entrusted to him. And he can say the very same thing that I have kept the faith. I've guarded the deposit 
that was given to me. And, and you know, the reason, the reason Paul can, can, can implore uh, uh, Timothy to, to endure suffering was because he endured suffering. Look what he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death, beaten by the hands of the Jews with 41 lashes, beaten with rods three times, stoned, time, shipwrecked, uh, drifted at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger on rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles I was ministering to, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at the sea, danger from false brethren, toil and hardship through many sleepless nights, hungry and thirsty, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from all that, I'm constantly anxious about the church. He said, he's not bragging here, but he's saying, Timothy, if I can do it, you can do it. So if I can be faithful to the end, then you can be faithful to the end. I know money's looking a little tight right now, but guess what? You can be faithful to the end. I know your kids may have seemed like they've left the faith, but you can be faithful to the end. I know that that job is not providing you the place of peace and comfort that you needed to be, but you can be faithful to the end. I know that marriage is not the one that you thought it would, you would end up in, but guess what? You can be faithful to the end. I know that you are struggling with addiction right now, but you can be faithful to the end. It says no matter what you find yourself in, Man of God, woman of God, you can endure suffering and be faithful to the end. But you know, you know, you know, what, you know what I love about what Paul says during this time? Is that Paul took a little time to look back at his past and to reflect. But, but he, also, he also gives Timothy a little glimpse of the future. Look what he says in verse 8. He says, he says, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only me, but to all who have loved his appearing. Paul, Paul took a little praise break. And I can see him as he pens this letter to Timothy with his eyes closed as he daydreams about what is in store for him when he shuts his eyes and opens them in glory. There's a, a crown of righteousness that was made possible because of the righteous one. And, and, I, and I love it because Paul, he lets Timothy know that, it, that that crown of righteousness, it ain't, it ain't just for him. It's, it's not just a crown of righteousness for Paul, but it says it's for all of those who have set their hearts on the return of Christ. See, Paul, Paul wanted to, Timothy to fix his eyes on the one in whom their faithfulness rested. The one who came before Paul and, and served as Timothy's ultimate example. Philippians says that, that the, this one fought the good fight because being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the, to the point of death, even death on a cross. The writer of Hebrews says that this one finished 
his race, that, that looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's why Paul could write that God had given this one a name above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow. Every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Here's the interesting thing. Here's the interesting thing. Paul, he, he didn't wait until the end of his life to look for someone to hand the baton off to. See, Paul, Paul had been doing practice runs with Timothy for years. Taking in on missions trips, preaching the gospel in places where the gospel had not been, being thrown out of cities, being ostracized for the sake of the community by Jewish, his Jewish kinfolk, leaving Timothy in Ephesus to set things in order. Paul had been doing practice runs for years. My brothers and my sisters, who were you passing the baton to? And who are you receiving it from? Because learning how to guard the gospel, suffer for the gospel, and continue in the gospel from one generation to the next will only be the result of a great handoff. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for Paul's example, not only of his own faithfulness, but the ministry of discipleship that he had. How he equipped the saints, how he equipped leaders and developed leaders so that upon that day when it was time for him to go from earth to glory, he had passed the baton well. Part of us running the race is being able to pass the baton. Help your people, O oh God, to find those individuals that they are receiving the baton from and also those individuals that they are passing the baton to. God, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. As we transition to communion, Communion is a time where we get to reflect on the fact that Jesus was the ultimate example of pouring himself out as a drink offering. A drink offering that was fully and wholly pleasing to God. Acceptable in every way. A drink offering that gives us access to the Father through his blood. And so on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread. 
And he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body, which has been broken for you. So often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. And afterwards, he took the drink, said, this is my blood of the new covenant. And as often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. Amen. Grace and peace. Again, we thank you for joining with us this Sunday and pray that our good God will continue to keep you and bless you the rest of your week until we can see you again. God bless you. Grace and peace. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder and pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you.